0: This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with A Doctor Delivers Podcast, and today I am discussing early and recurrent pregnancy loss with OBGYN Dr. Erica Montes. Hi, how are are, you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I really, uh, Dr. Montez, agreed to this uh, kind of at the last minute because I realized I had some time today. So I really appreciate you doing this. Oh yeah, Um, for sure. This is, uh, I just want to start off by saying guys, this is a very complex topic. What we're going to go through um, is based on what ACOG recommends, SMFM recommends. But what we also want to say, and I'm sure you agree with me, that there's still room for individual management on a case-by-case basis. So if your doctor did or did not manage you according to what we're saying, there's probably a reason why you could always ask. But, you know, it's not like we pull out a book and say we have to do X, Y, and Z. We have to also look at the individual and determine if different things can be done or, you know, am I making sense? Right. 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 We, exactly. have to take it. we have to take it on a case-by-case basis. So what we're going right. to talk about today is early pregnancy loss. And hopefully if we get to it, we're going to talk about recurrent pregnancy loss a little bit, also the management of early pregnancy loss. And then I wanted to try to throw in uh, subchorionic hemorrhage because I get that asked a lot about that. And then hopefully a little bit on my MTHFR mutation because those are probably the two most common questions I get in conjunction. So first of all, doctor. Please introduce yourself. Tell everybody who you are.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much honey. I appreciate you inviting Mm -hmm. me to join you. Um, My Mm -hmm. name is Erica Montes. I'm a board certified OBGYN. I've been practicing now for eight years and I am in um, Scottsdale or Phoenix, Arizona. I did my, I went to med school in San Antonio in Texas Mm -hmm. um, and I did my residency at Parkland Hospital or UT Southwestern in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then I came straight over here to Phoenix. My husband's a physician and we, he's from California and I'm from Texas. So mm. we kind of split the difference, and then, yeah, split the difference yeah. right. And tell everybody so, where they can
0: find you on social media.
1: Yes. Yeah, so my, um, handles at, is at the.modern.mujer and mujer means woman in, in Spanish. And, um, we, I basically just talk a lot about health, not as much as Dr. Clark. I mean, her mm-hmm. page is amazing, but health, um, just a lot about, you know, medicine med students, empowerment, things like that. So if you want to join me, I'll be happy to see y'all there. Well, And the other good thing that I really love about your page is you do a lot in Spanish,
0: which I think is really great. Um, So she does share her information a lot uh, in Spanish uh, for those of you guys that are Spanish speaking and want to get your information that way. She's a great resource for that. Okay. So let's dive in.
1: Okay, so let's just talk good. about
0: the definition of early pregnancy loss. And I'm just, um, basically, I gave the, right. we went through this document and we're just going to go through, and this is basically what uh, ACOG has a new pre- a, a t- technical bulletin. And um, that's right. kind of like these guidelines that ACOG puts out on early pregnancy loss. So it's defined as a non-viable intrauterine pregnancy with either an empty gestational sac or gestational suck containing an embryo or fetus without fetal heart activity within the first 12 weeks and six days of pregnancy. So that's considered an early pregnancy loss, but doc, we're, we're, we're trying to use the terminology early pregnancy loss now, but what are some of the other common
1: terms that are used to describe a loss that early? So, you know, we use a miscarriage of course, is like the most common one that is out there that every person knows what that means. We do tend to use the word spontaneous abortion. And I know anytime Someone hears the word abortion. abortion. It's like no, no, no. like I, it's not. This isn't what that is. But spontaneous means it's a miscarriage. It's happening spontaneously. And then, um, you know, I think I think those are like the main two words. Mm -hmm. Those three common words are what we use kind of interchangeably.
0: Yeah, but we're trying, I think we're trying uh, to move towards the early pregnancy loss. And just about the abortion thing. So for abortion, it's spontaneous abortion, which means it occurs spontaneously, um, you know, and then we have the term elective abortion where a woman chooses to do uh, an abortion electively. But because abortion has such a negative connotation, when, when we use it in medical terms, spontaneous abortion, if people don't understand that, they think that it means something negative or that we're saying they right. had, they chose to terminate their pregnancy, which is not the case. So that's where we're kind of trying to go away from using the term spontaneous abortion.
1: And then okay? of course, there's also medical abortion, which yes. you know Med- is something that we recommend and yes. we, we want the patient to get it for certain different chronic conditions. Right, right.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the different types of early pregnancy loss. What is a chemical pregnancy?
1: So, a chemical pregnancy is is something that I think it's more common nowadays because we have such a high sensitivity on our even our home pregnancy yes. tests. We can actually detect um, an hCG level between like twenty to twenty five milliunits per milliliter now, and so that level is super super low, super early. And so, some women may not even know that they're that they have a chemical pregnancy, but it's basically when you are late on your period, you take a pregnancy test, it comes out positive, And then a couple days later, you start bleeding, like your normal period, and then your test subsequently quickly after is negative. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's different reasons, I feel like most of the reasons for the chemical pregnancy is just due to due, due to a chromosome mm-hmm. anomaly. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's at a, such an early, early point in the development of of this, of this embryo that it never, conti- even though it implants, it never continues to grow or, or develop. Yeah. So it goes
0: far enough to it, it cause an elevation in your pregnancy hormone levels or HCG levels, levels right. but it occurs in less than five weeks. And the important thing is, is we're assuming it's because of a chromosomal abnormalities, which right. it probably is, but we don't have anything to test. So it's right. not like we can do anything to test for sure what causes an, uh, an embryonic, or sorry, a chemical pregnancy. Right. Um, but biochemical pregnancy is another terminology that it's used for, but, um, again, so two things, like you said, the sensitivity of the home pregnancy test is crazy now. I mean, we could test really early. And the second, with the use of IDF, we know more because Mm -hmm. women are uh, pursuing IDF and assisted reproductive technology. Mm -hmm. They're testing early. So we know a lot, you know, women are having more biochemical pregnancies. Let me back up. I don't think they're having more. We're just recognizing it more. Correct. Exactly. So it's not that they're having more, it's just that we're recognizing it more based on having IDF or having the pregnancy test. But many women, men, women just may have a late period and never even knew.
1: Okay. Exactly.
0: So with biochemical pregnancies or chemical pregnancies, we do not consider them in, in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup because right. nothing developed in the pregnancy or in the uterus that was ever seen on ultrasound. So that's, that's why, and probably because it was a, a, a chromosomal to begin with. Um, so that's why they're not considered in a re- recurrent pregnancy loss workup. Right. But for fertility docs, though, if, a, if someone keeps having them over and over and over again, like multiple, which is rare that a woman would have multiple recurrent pregnancy, uh, sorry, biochemical pregnancies, they right. may consider doing a recurrent pregnancy loss workup. But that's mainly for the fertility. Do you ever do a, a pregnancy loss workup or re- recurrent pregnancy loss for biochemicals or chemicals? not? No, not really, yeah.
1: because you're you're right. I mean, I don't like I. I literally just had a patient this week who said. She came in and she's she said I had a positive pregnancy pregnancy test, but I started bleeding. You know, like four days after my mm-hmm. I would have had my period. And so we did a UPT at the office, and it was it was negative. But I said let's just do an hCG because I'm curious to see if it's still going to show anything like mm-hmm. below 25. And it came mm-hmm. back um, seven. Mm-hmm. So yes, she did actually in- indeed have a chemical pregnancy. But like you said, I don't tend to yeah. see this recurring very often. Yeah. So I told her, I said, "This may be just like a one-time thing. Let's just mm-hmm. kind of monitor you and go from there." But no, I I don't. Yeah. Okay. So and I, and same for me. Yeah. Um, whenever someone
0: comes to me with a history of pregnancy losses, I go through each one to to determine, um, you know, and ask certain questions to see what exactly was seen on each one. If it was a exactly. pregnancy test, if
1: they ever had a heartbeat or not. So that's and it that's right. A point it's to an- know. Right. It's important to know, like, was it super, super early? Mm-hmm. Or was it like get, you know, 10 weeks, and then the, there was a demise? All that has a lot has a role into kind of what classification we put patients in and kind of what workup we should yeah. do. Yeah, my very
0: first loss was a chemical pregnancy loss. Uh, of course, I was trying. Mm -hmm. and I got a positive pregnancy test, and about a week later, of course I was testing right on the dot, which (laughs) happens a lot, and I had a positive pregnancy test, and then probably a little bit less than a week later, I started bleeding. So um, that was, we never saw anything on ultrasound other than a thickened lining, and and, you know, it is what it is. Okay, let's go to an an anembryonic or a pregnancy or blighted ovum. So I'll take this one. So basically you get what we do, what you see is that you have a positive pregnancy test, you go in Mm -hmm. for an ultrasound early, and you see a gestational sac that forms and grows, but the embryo never develops. Okay. That's called an anembryonic pregnancy or blighted ovum. Um, and it's thought that these types of pregnancies make up about half of all pregnancy losses. Um, so, and again, if it's early enough, you may not even realize it if you didn't go get an ultrasound and you may go on to miscarry, but you know, even if you get an ultrasound and you see a gestational sock, but it doesn't progress along that, uh, further than that, then it is going to be a blighted ovum. So, right. Uh, and we'll talk more about management here, which is one of the reasons why I brought Dr. Montez on because I I, I will say I, I don't ever uh manage women with yeah. pregnancy loss because we're, right. I'm I'm metality. Exactly. Uh, yeah After later they already yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly So I also
0: wanted to throw in here ectopic pregnancy. Talk about okay. what is an ectopic pregnancy.
1: So an ectopic pregnancy is basically when a pregnancy Oh wait wait, pe- time out. Let's talk
0: are considered in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup because you did yeah, see something on exactly. ultrasound. You did see a gestational sac and it didn't develop. So those are included in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I we, I,
1: yeah. 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 I know okay, really quickly just to, just to finish up on an embryonic pregnancies, you know, what we tend to see is if, you know, if women are, you know, looking at their ultrasound and they're, you know, into like measurements and things, Usually we tend to find that the gestational sac is about 20 millimeters Mm -hmm. or two millimeters two centimeters, excuse mm-hmm. me, with nothing inside the sac. And so at that point, it's kind of like we should have already had a yolk sac yeah. or a fetal pole, and mm-hmm. so we call it an N embryonic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay, as far as ectopics, ectopic go, um, yeah, I tend, I obviously will manage this more and see this more than Dr. Clark, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. happy to talk about this. So ectopic pregnancies are basically when a pregnancy implants anywhere other than the uterine cavity. So, you know, you can have it in the cornua, which is like the area between the tube and the and right before you get into the cavity, of course, the most common place w- would be the fallopian tube. But you also can have it um, ab- ab- uh, in the cervix and abdominal topic. I've never seen that before. But that I've is, had a few, <laughs> you have had, some, I think, and, and we see that like more with IVF, because yeah, of yeah. how they, in, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. introduce the embryo and things. But um, basically, that's what it is. It can be a life threatening emergency, Mm -hmm. I feel though, I feel I I feel as though we see that more like in residency because of the patient population, whereas like in private practice, patients are more, you know, attuned to coming earlier to Mm -hmm. see us. And so we kind of catch it early. So management is different depending on the case. But obviously, you know, there are certain risk factors. And so that's, that's something that we kind of want to, you know, be checking out for.
0: Yeah. And, and you said they mostly about 90% occur in the fallopian tube. Right. So exactly. are ectopics considered in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup?
1: You know i i wouldn't I wouldn't say say so because I mean you get pregnant. Yeah. it's just that it's a more you know, of like an anatomical. Yeah. yeah, so, so exactly. no, they're not.
0: They're not because it's a, it's a, you know yes they can. Once you have an ectopic pregnancy, your chances mm-hmm. of having another one increase mm-hmm. um, based on you know the reason why it occurred in the first place was there scarring in the tubes. Did something right. you know is there something going on with the tubes that it, that that occurred, uh, caused that? But right. no, it's not the same. Um, and the same basket for recurrent pregnancy loss as the other ones so that right. an ectopic would not be considered in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup.
1: okay and let's then, talk to, yeah go ahead oh no i was just gonna say and like for you know risk factors that we tend to like really really yes. focus on you know are gonna be smoking does increase yeah. your risk because of infl- inflammation that it can cause and it doesn't allow your tubes to be, ha- the the motility less mm-hmm. your age actually can mm-hmm. increase um you know, IVF increases Mm -hmm. your risk, of course. And then also we see, we are seeing more because of higher incidence of STDs, especially Mm -hmm. chlamydia is the STD that really increases your risk. And then also an increased risk of IUD use and sterilizations. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so uh,
0: that's one of the uh, uh, potential complications of a tubal ligation Mm -hmm. uh, could be an ectopic pregnancy, okay? Exactly. Um, All right, and molar pregnancy or high to the moles, um, talk about that briefly and whether or not it's yeah. considered in a recurrent pregnancy loss workout.
1: You know, with, as far as molar pregnancies go, I mean, it's mainly, it, again, it comes back to the chromosomes and the way that everything kind of your, your partner's chromosomes and your chromosomes kind of join and connect and things. Um, but basically what we see is that there's kind of a, usually the patient presents with like a bigger, a larger than gestational size uterus. So like, let's, if you think you're, six weeks, you're actually you actually measure more like 10 to 12 mm-hmm. weeks on exam. Mm-hmm. Um, some women also have they always, always tend to present with like bleeding, they sometimes can have a lot of pain because mm-hmm. they can form large cysts in their yeah. ovaries, right, the thecolutean cysts. And then also um, patients sometimes if they, um, if their HCG levels are super high, they actually can have some issues with like thyroid, yeah. thyroid storm and things like that. Um, but usually for those um, to diagnose that, you know, we usually see a certain appearance on the ultrasound, mm-hmm. but we also really diagnose it like post DNC or after we actually remove the tissue and then we see it on the pathology results. Um, but no, I mean, I wouldn't, as yeah. far as that goes, I wouldn't yeah, say that not. goes with recurrence.
0: Yeah, it's not. It, it's not considered a recurrent pregnancy loss because those are right. likely to uh, 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 to not recur. Right. Um, and then, you know, I added ectopic pregnancy and, and molar pregnancy in there, but they're managed different than the, the, the ones we completely managed differently. Right. When we talk about management here for early pregnancy loss, we're not going to talk about management of ectopic and molar. I just wanted to add that in here for one reason um, mainly because of what is considered a loss, I think, and we won't go into this in detail, because that's really not what we're here for. But mm-hmm. a loss is a loss, in my opinion, right. meaning how you feel about it emotionally and mentally, you know, women still grieve when they have an ectopic, when they have a molar, when they have right. a chemical pregnancy, when they have a blighted ovum or, a blighted ovum or an embryonic demise. I know I grieved and I had mm-hmm. a chemical pregnancy because it's a loss is a loss. Now, right. whether or not it's considered medically in a, 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 a workup and, and additional testing, that's different. But just because we may not include it in a recurrent pregnancy loss workup doesn't mean it's not considered a loss to you. And we uh, appreciate that as physicians that we do understand that it is considered a loss and it's okay to grieve any of these types of losses. Exactly. um, Right? Yeah, I mean,
1: and and, and like, you know, like Dr. Clark saying, you know, we we may not include it in, in your workup or say like, yes, you meet criteria. Uh, we definitely keep it in mind yeah. on your history. So that way we, when we're kind of looking at everything and kind of figuring mm-hmm. out, you know, what's this patient's future fertility, what can we do to help her? We're definitely going to keep it in mind. Right. Right.
0: Okay. So as far as the incidence, uh, um, we know that it's common. Early pregnancy loss is common. About 80% of all cases of pregnancy loss occur within the first trimester. Um, so about yeah. 80% are, you know, early pregnancy losses. Yeah. Uh, and then early pregnancy loss is common occurring in 10% of all clinically recognized and what does clinically recognized mean clinically recognized pregnancy
1: i mean i guess if you know something that you actually that we, that we, we see, see. see. Yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. so it, it is common yeah, go ahead. right and that, and that's the other thing that i wanted to mention when we talked about like how common this is you know we we want patients to realize that because it is so common we don't want you to think like it's your fault you did yeah. something wrong oh yeah. if i wouldn't have gone if I wouldn't have exercised that day or if I wouldn't have ate that thing or I wouldn't have gone on that trip it's not your fault it's it is very common that's that's the nature of of pregnancy unfortunately Mm, in the early stage
0: right and I always make sure I tell patients that too it's not your fault there's nothing in the first trimester losses there's nothing you could do to prevent it for the most part Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that a little bit too but there's nothing you could you did to cause it um and, and when, and I feel like sometimes when we, when I tell a, a, a patient, you know, mm-hmm. this is very common, uh, I, I don't expect it to make her feel any better
1: sure right <laughs> because right.
0: it's, you know, for you, right. it's not common. Right, right. Exactly. Um, and, but I do, even though I know it's not, you know, but it also means I'm not dismissing it or downplaying mm-hmm. it all, even mm-hmm. though it's common, you know, uh, I just want to make sure that they know that, but I, wasn't I, I also understand that it's you and, and it's not common for you. So, and, and I do appreciate that. Okay. As far as risk factors, um, we know that 50%, um, are cause are are likely due to greater than 50% due to chromosomal (laughs) abnormalities. Mm -hmm, And, And why is that? I mean, you have to have all these things come into line that everything has to work perfectly. So there's a lot right. of potential areas where the chromosomes just don't match between the sperm and the egg. And that's not because of anything you did. It's just, you know, pregnancy is, you know, very complex. Right. So that's why most are due to chromosome abnormalities. So what would be the
1: main things that would increase your risk of having uh, like an early pregnancy loss? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of women now, nowadays are, you know, that's the whole point of your page. They're getting pregnant mm-hmm. later in life they're, you know, focusing more on their career. And we tend to know that if you do get pregnant later in life, that increases the risk of chromosome anomalies. Um, But you know, I think I think just knowing that, you know, we just we still I think doing things like this help to educate our patients, like, even though you've had that loss, and you are older, it's still possible to get pregnant. And there's ways that we can help to, to, you know, help you decrease your risk of early pregnancy loss. Yeah.
0: So the most, the most would be, uh, you know, again, because of a dancing age and women right. like Dr. Montes said, you're having, we're having women later in life pursuing mm-hmm. pregnancies. Right. So with that comes along, you know, the genetic the potential for a genetically abnormal pregnancy that results in an early pregnancy loss. And then having, you know, an, an early pregnancy loss does place you at increased risk of having another one. So right. that's why, you know, we, we need to, to know exactly what happens surrounding your loss. So exactly. we can determine what the next best step is. Right. Um, you mentioned already uh, talked about, you know, what things we use to confirm an early pregnancy loss. You know, I think, um, it, it's, a uh, three things. It's going to be what we see on ultrasound. Right. Um, what's your potential pregnancy hormone level is? Is it three things? No, mainly those two. And then what your symptoms? Yeah. are. What right. your symptoms are. So let's talk about first, what, what potential symptoms might someone be having if they're potentially going on to have an early pregnancy loss?
1: I mean, of course the number one is going to be bleeding, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we do tend to see that a lot in most early pregnancy losses. Um, And also some patients do experience pain. I mean, Mm -hmm. even with a normal pregnancy, you can have cramping because due to just Mm -hmm. like everything growing and stretching and things like that. But Mm -hmm. of course, pain and bleeding are always going to bring a patient in in the early pregnancy. Um, You can still have even if you have a molar pregnancy or an ectopic pregnancy, you can still have symptoms of normal pregnancy Mm -hmm. because a lot of patients are like, but I feel like I'm pregnant. I have nausea. And and I'm Mm -hmm. like, yes, you are. It's just that it's not a viable pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that we just have to kind of remind patients and keep them, you know, keep them, um, just let them know that that's something that still you'll feel because Mm -hmm. of the rise in HCG levels. Yes. But it still could be an abnormal pregnancy.
0: Right. And then, you know, based on the symptoms and what we see on ultrasound, we may or may not choose to do pregnancy hormone levels. Um, You know, for me, you know, I do diagnose, uh, do first trimester ultrasounds a lot because they come to my Mm -hmm. unit for ultrasounds, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on, uh, you know, what we see on ultrasound and what the symptoms are, you know, uh, for me, and you may or may not, you don't have to agree with me, but you know, I don't always recommend following pregnancy hormone levels. I don't do it as much
1: either. Yeah. um,
0: Some docs do, they rely on that. And Mm -hmm. I just think people get so fixated on the exact number. It it adds a lot more. Um, Now, if I am, you know, expecting to see something and they're further enough along Mm. and this gestational sac measures a certain amount or, Mm. you know, the crown rump length is, you know, there's certain things where I might recommend getting a pregnancy hormone level, um, but you can still use it. It's, you know, you kind of decide based on the symptoms, what you see on ultrasound and what the pregnancy hormone level is as far as when you call it, meaning We have certain criteria that we have based on what we see on ultrasound, um, whether it's suspicious for uh, pregnancy Mm -hmm. failure or diagnostic, meaning it's met these criteria. It is a pregnancy failure, but as long as the patient's okay and not having active symptoms or hemorrhaging or anything like that, we could wait another 10 Days to two weeks to get another ultrasound just to confirm.
1: Yeah, I feel mm. like I te- I'm, I, I'm exactly the same way. I mm. think patients read a lot on the internet and yeah. say, like, but I want to know, like, what the level is. And I'm like, well, look, the thing is, is in a way, the level doesn't matter at this point. Yeah. It, it really matters more. How does your pregnancy look from on ultrasound from, yeah. from like one week to the next? That's actually going to give us a little bit more yes. information. If you have an ectopic, though, I yeah. am kind of a stickler on. Certain coming in certain days for your HCG levels depending on like. You know, if we, if I gave you methotrexate or this or that, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. But as far as, as far as other types of early pregnancies that we're kind of not, we're not sure of the viability of them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it ends up being more for me as well. More like uh, well, um, we imaging. See yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. And again, like we, I said earlier, ectopics and molars are managed completely different. Right. And they're in a different group. I just wanted to include that, you know, talk about it a little bit because it, it is considered, you know, it mm-hmm. is something that can happen in early pregnancy that can for cause sure. you to lose the pregnancy. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we have some guidelines that we use. Um, you know, every ultrasound unit's a little bit different, but we have some that we use. That again, based on what we see as far as the size of the gestational sac, we well, this is the mm-hmm. criteria used: size of the gestational sac, whether or not there's a yolk sac, whether or not there's an embryo with right. or without heartbeat. Um, ba- based on where they fall, uh, it could be suspicious for pregnancy loss mm-hmm. or pregnancy failure, which um, would require that she come back in ten days to two weeks for another ultrasound. Then there's other criteria. That are diagnostic in which case if they meet those criteria it is considered a pregnancy loss or pregnancy failure and then you can exactly. proceed with management exactly okay uh, now we're going to talk about management so there are three types of management oh, for the pregnancy loss we have expectant management medical management and surgical mm-hmm. so tell me about expectant management what is it and who, uh, what criteria,
1: or who is a candidate for expected sure management? So expectant management is basically where we kind of watch and wait. You know, a lot of patients, and and I'm I kind of feel like I give them the three options, and I say, hey, look, this is what we're dealing with. I think in your in in your case, in your scenario, I think we could do expectant um, management because the you know the fetal pole or the embryo isn't super big. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance you could um, pass it on your own. And some patients, they opt for that. And I think that that's just, that's perfectly fine. You know, I think some patients don't want to be quick to rush into doing anything. They want it to just kind of naturally happen on their own. And that's perfect. You know, when we look at, um, you know, embryos that are further along, though, sometimes I kind of tell them, you know, in your scenario, in your clinical situation, I feel as though it probably would be better if we did a DNC on you because you're, to tw- 10 to 12 weeks further you know along yeah. Or in this certain case, because you may hemorrhage yes. or you may still need a DNC. So I think expectant management is great for certain patients. And if your doctor offers you that, I think that's a that's a fine way to go about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if so if a woman chooses expectant management or a person chooses ex- expectant management,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, there's going to be some bleeding at some point. Yeah. And so how do you tell them how much bleeding is too much? I get this question all the time. Sure. Even though I don't do it, but you know, yeah, yeah uh what is a general thing that you guys tell patients when, you know, say she chooses right. expectant management and you're going to send her out the door and you say, listen, if you believe this much, you need to go to the ER. Sure. What is this so, much?
1: Yeah. So this is, so this is what I tell patients. If they decide expecting management, I say the, um, the things you're going to be looking out for are, are what you could expect is that you will start feeling, uh, cramps, mm-hmm. almost like contraction, like pains and you will pass something that has like a gray, like it looks like a sack or a grayish, whitish tissue type type um, look. And during that time, you can have, you know, pretty significant bleeding. But if it gets to the point where you're bleeding, you know, more than one pad an hour, during that time for a couple hours, I think that that is pretty reasonable. But once your, once your pain kind of slows down, your bleeding should hopefully tailor down as well. Then you can kind of just monitor yourself. And I tend to give patients like a couple pill, you know, a couple pain medicate, like Norco yeah, yeah. or something, just to help Get them. To that, yeah. It can be yeah, because it can mm-hmm. be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. But um, you know, if they continue to have pain or bleeding more than 24 hours, um, up to like a pad an hour, of course you need to go to the ER because there's a risk that you still may need a DNC because you still may have products of conception that haven't passed.
0: Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this happened to a friend of mine recently, she had an an embryonic, um, pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. and she was fine until Mm -hmm. she stood up and it, gushed onto the floor yeah. and she had to go right away because it what became mm-hmm. an emergency. So, you right. know, bleeding steadily, you know, uh, and not, not overfilling a pad. If you're overfilling a pad, it's right. different than saturating a pad. If you, uh, if you don't know, and you, you can always call right. and ask you your, call your doctor's is, yeah. office or you could just always just go to the ER if you're right. not sure certain you don't yeah. want to wait too long
1: yeah no right yeah mm-hmm. I mean because women can come in you know hypo- mm-hmm. hypotensive yes. needing a blood transfusion and things and so that's the thing that as doctors we have to make sure that you understand with expect expected management it, it sometimes works out well and you pass everything and everything kind of happens naturally on its own but you have to remember that there is still that potential that you still may need a DNC. You still could ha- need a blood yes. transfusion. Mm-hmm. You still could have other complications that mm-hmm. happened because you chose expected management. Yeah. But for the, for certain patients, it is a, it's a yeah. very good option. I remember I
0: had a, a, a friend, a couple of uh, They were friends of mine and mm-hmm. she was also older
1: mm-hmm.
0: first pregnancy. Um, and she, uh, started to miscarry yeah. and he called me because he was on his way to get her some more pads. And I said, well, where is she? And he said, she can't get off the toilet because she's bleeding. And I said, turn the car around, <laughs> you know, yeah, if you, you, if you can't get right. out of bed or you can't, you have to sit on the toilet because you can't get your clothes on because you are right. have to go to the ER. Right. Yeah. By the time he got her to sure. the ER, she was, you know, really sick. So yeah. you know, it's always better to, if there's any question, just to go to the ER.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, now let's
1: talk about medical management. What does medical management mean? So medical management is basically when you take a medication to help your uterus expel the the products of conception. You know, for me, I don't use, I tend, to, if some patients want to pers- go that route, and I do have a good amount of patients that do try it, I j- just basically use Cytotec or um, mesoprostol, because I tend to tend to see that it works really well. There are other options out there that you can consider, I just don't happen to use those. Um, I tend to use um, the Cytotec, which is as 800 milligrams inside the vagina. And that Mm -hmm. tends to work really well for my patients. Um, What you could expect with that is basically within 24 hours and even up to a couple hours of, of using it, you'll start having the cramps, the, mm-hmm. the bleeding, the pain, and then, you, and then you'll see the passage of the, of the pregnancy. And that works pretty well because you don't have to have, undergo anesthesia, you don't have to have surgery. Still patients need to understand that there's still a risk that you may need a DNC or further treatments after this. Um, because there's a chance that everything may not expel. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a great option for certain Mm -hmm. patients, especially if the embryo is is small.
0: But the one thing I have, and I I agree, it is Mm -hmm. a
1: a good option, um, but you have to
0: consider, you know, how far away is the patient from the hospital. There's certain things, you know, in case she does start to bleed. Exactly, yeah, for sure. You want to consider how far you are from the nearest hospital. And the other thing to know too, is that it is pretty uncomfortable and can be pretty painful. So if you choose that option, you may want to ask for some kind of, you know, oh, what can I, I do for pain, pain control? Minutes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, that's the one thing I have heard it, it, mm-hmm. is it can be pretty painful. Uh, and now is it 800 micrograms or 800 milligrams that you give? Micrograms. 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 Okay. It's yes, okay. yes. like 800 micrograms. milligrams. That's a lot of stuff. I said, if I said that, I'm <laughs> No, I just people. wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah. Micrograms. We, we dose yes. um, cytotech in micrograms just to clarify. Yes. So it, it's a different type of dosage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So medical management is definitely an option. And I'm just going to put this out. Every, yeah. um, physician, um, has based on their years of experience, based on yeah. their patient population, right? based on, you know, uh, other factors will have their preferences on what they think is best for you. It doesn't mean they can't offer you these things, but they may have an opinion. And it's okay to ask your doc, what do Mm -hmm. you think is better for me? Um, And, you know, as long as, you know, your doc knows you the best. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they may say, I think you could do either one, or they may say because of X, X, Y, and Z, I think you should have a DNC and we'll talk about that or because of X, Y, and Z, right. I think you should do medical management. So, you know, um, sometimes you can go either way, but sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like most of the time I think the doc kind of knows what yes, they would. I do. Yeah. Right. And that's, and it's okay <laughs> yes. for them to tell you that because they know the best. And I know some docs, some of my colleagues, they don't like to do cytotech. I know some of my colleagues would rather not do in C's, but everything's
1: based on everyone's different. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's based on like what outcomes you've seen in in your Mm -hmm. patients that you've actually taken care of. Yeah. For me, I kind of feel like, expecting management is maybe for a quarter of my patients yeah. just because my patient population tends to want to just kind of move yes. things along yes and then and then the other 75 percent, i feel as though it's about half and half, half and half, half, half. want yeah, to yeah. do yeah half want to do the medical and mm. half want to do the dnc and so, you know, like speaking of as far as, and I think we're going to go into the DNC, you know, mm-hmm. I think that is a great option for patients who, you know, who really don't want to deal with. Well, like, but before you, what yeah, is a DNC? Oh, Tell me, what's yes. a DNC? So a DNC is a dilatation and curatage. And what that means is we dilate your cervix and then we go in, usually I tend to use a, a suction DNC where it's, it's just basically a little um, curette, like a little plastic um, su- suction Thing where I go in and then I kind of roll it around um, inside the uterus. And that kind of basically clears the products of conception. I tend to try to do it under ultrasound, just because I want to yeah. make sure that yeah. I get everything and nothing mm-hmm. is left in inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is done under anesthesia, though it is a surgical procedure. Some patients can, some offices or some practices potentially do it under sedation, like in their office and yeah. things, but I don't have that capability. Mm-hmm. We just tend to do it in the outpatient center. Um, but patients will go home the same day. Um, their bleeding usually is, is minimal. I mean, you can have some heavy bleeding afterwards, depending mm-hmm. on, you know, how far along you were and things. And sometimes your doctor can give you um methogen, which is another medication that helps to um, yeah. contract Keep your uterus, yeah. right? Like for a week after or a few mm-hmm. days after. Um, oh, and we also sometimes give Pitocin in your IV yeah. to, and that helps to decrease your bleeding as well. And
0: you were talking about who you thought might be
1: better candidates for a DNC. Yeah. You know, I like Dr. Like you said, Shannon, I mean, I feel like if you know your patient, if yeah. you know, she's very anxious, if she, you know, has been through this before and she just doesn't want to see anything, doesn't want to look at anything. Yeah you know, and, and and even if you haven't been through it, but you know, you're just, you just kinda you know their personality because you know your patient. I feel as though some patients I say, let's just do the DNC so we can just, you know, kind of just finish everything. Let it be a little bit more of a smoother transition for you. And I think that works well for patients.
0: Now for, um, if you pass products, like mm-hmm. if you have something to actually, actually pass, mm-hmm. I just wanna put this, you know, um, especially doing a DNC, you can send products for testing, right? For genetic
1: testing. Yes, 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 yes. So, so what I do talk to my patients about is, um, you know, if you want to do some genetic testing to confirm that the loss was potentially due to a chromosome chromosome um, problem or anomaly, then yes, we can test, we can send a little bit of the products of conception that I removed during the DNC. And I have, we have, there's different companies that do that and they can test the, the chromosomes of the of the embryo yeah Um, yeah whatever yeah whatever products they have and the same thing can
0: be say i know there's been times where they they actually passed and they knew that it was probably the gestational Mm -hmm. sac or the placenta and the patient has brought it in and that could be similar testing as well for sure so if it's something that you want done you could always ask um uh, can we send this for chromosomal analysis is what you would ask correct exactly All right, so let's talk about um, how should patients be counseled regarding interpregnancy interval after a pregnancy loss? I know what I would prefer and I'll go with that. So pe- <laughs> people always ask, how long should mm-hmm. I wait to get pregnant again? You know, so I think it's t- two different things. If you had to have instrumentation of your uterus mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Montes has to go in and do a DNC or had instrumentation, that's different because we actually have to dilate the cervix and you want the cervix to come through and, right. and come back together. And so they may, want. Well, and you could talk a little bit about that. But for me, mm-hmm. As an MFM dating pregnancies and wanting yeah. to know I, it's always better if you have at least one normal cycle that's and then try. Exactly. That's right. What but I, say. I mean, but technically you don't have to wait at all as
1: long as yeah. you know, everything's been cleared. But
0: I would rather yeah, have mean, one normal cycle.
1: Yeah. That's exactly what I say. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, the thing t- that that's right. I mean, if you have a DNC, you know, you're at risk for having inflammation inside your uterine cavity that yeah. can move yeah. to your tubes, and that that increases your risk of an ectopic pregnancy mm-hmm. as well. So I always make sure I give my patients um, just some IV antibiotics before I take them back just to minimize that risk. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's good to kind of just let your body heal up, have one normal cycle and then try again. And, and you know, some doctors may say three months and other doctors yeah. might say you don't need to wait. But I feel like that's exactly what I think. Yeah. And it's also if you do get pregnant,
0: right, it's easier to tell how far along you are. Exactly. And it also it's told, told me that, you know, your body's back on track. And we're mm-hmm. hitting restart and we're, we're good to go. So exactly. that kind of is a general rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about, all right, this, the, this is going to be awesome. very interesting. What type of workup is needed for an early pregnancy loss? We're well, going to talk about recurrent yeah. So you had the first pregnancy loss, whether it was an embryonic, chemical, mm-hmm. spontaneous, uh, or miscarriage, um, or early pregnancy loss. What, um, at less than 12 weeks and six days, what workup
1: do we do? I mean, if it's just a one time thing, I don't do anything, really, yeah. you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, there, it, it's just it's it usually most of the time is going to be a, a one time thing. I mean, yes, of course, there are people that have recurrence. But if it's just once, I mean, I just kind of tell them you know, likely it was a chromosome anom- anomaly, go ahead and wait a month, you know, wait for, let a normal cycle pass and then try after that. And then we just kind of go from there. I don't really yeah. do too much. So, and we'll get, we're going to say, we got a few more things to go through and then we'll go through the workup if we're having recurrent and we'll
0: talk about yes. that. Uh, okay. So let's talk about um, interventions to prevent early pregnancy loss. And I just want to say, i uh, um it's, it's hard if it's you and you've had I know. the pregnancy loss for I know. a doctor to tell you there's nothing we can do. I know. But on uh, the truth is there's no, there are no effective interventions for early pregnancy loss. So we've looked at pelvic rest, vitamins, uterine relaxants, giving HCG, all of those do not prevent real, uh, early pregnancy loss. Bed, uh, be, you talk about bed rest is not recommended for early pregnancy loss. Oops. Let me go back down. I'm I lost you. Hold on. No, on my hair? No, no, no. I, it's, uh. I pulled up, how do I get back to that? There we go. Um, You know, I know a lot of uh, people will go on bed rest if they've Mm had bleeding in the first trimester, but that does not help. Um, (laughs) But then we talk about progesterone. So using progesterone to prevent an early pregnancy loss is not recommended. If you're having bleeding in the first trimester and putting on progesterone, there's no evidence that that helps either. The only time that we've, and I've posted this, it's in my um, Mm -hmm. uh, infertility highlights under, uh, in my Instagram, Mm -hmm. that where progesterone supplementation might help is if you have had three prior pregnancy losses. Um, There may be some benefit for giving progesterone with the next one. And yeah. everybody asks, well, why do I have to wait for three? Well, because that's what the and the data has shown so far. It didn't show any benefit after two. It only shows so as a recommendation that we're going to put out, especially ACOG. That's what they're going to say. Now, sure. your doctor may decide to do it after two. That's sure. their prerogative based on that's your, you know, that's their patient. But right. what the evidence shows is what I what I just stated. What are your thoughts <clears throat> on all that? You know,
1: I, I, I mentioned that to my patient, but of course, you know, the, the patient is, want want something done yeah, and yeah. I fit I mean it's not gonna it's not necessary it's not gonna hurt so for some of my patients they want to do it I say let's just do it you know I I've I've ha- I've done it just at even not it, like after one or after two and they actually end up carrying to you know mm-hmm. carrying to term so then they say well maybe they we think that's the right, progesterone. Yeah. And, we, and we and you know we yeah. never know but I feel like It's not going to hurt if a patient wants it done. I'm okay. I'm okay with doing it. I mean, I did have a patient who had. I think we're going to talk. Well, let's talk about recurrent pregnancy loss, and I'll tell you about a patient that I what I did for her, and she ended up doing great. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's just you never you you never know because you can't go back and say if we wouldn't have given it, would you have carried or not? But yeah,
0: uh, but progesterone is not a cure all either. Sure, and we don't know. Right. Uh, for those that it's not indicated and if it's going to cause issues. So we just have to, you have to look at the right. risk and the benefits, what we do know, what we don't know, right. Um, before, before giving it. Now, I'm just going to add here, uh, I've heard also a lot, well, uh, fertility docs give progesterone for mm. IVF. It's not the same thing. The reason sure. why you have to have progesterone supple- supplementation with IVF is not to prevent the loss. It's because the, it's your, they created the cycle. So your body is right? not producing it. So mm. they ha- those patients have to get progesterone because they don't mm-hmm. have the corpus luteum. Cyst that produces progesterone until the placenta takes over. And I did just right. did videos about what the corpus luteum does, sorry, not the corpus luteum, and that's in a normal uh, uh, spontaneous uh, conceived pregnancy. So mm-hmm. since IVF pregnancies are not spontaneously conceived, they have to be given progesterone. So that's not the same thing. Okay. Right. So progesterone is not given for IVF to prevent pregnancy loss. It's because the body is not making it and they have to provide that until the placenta takes over at around 13 weeks is when they stop giving you the progesterone. So right. it's not the same thing. Okay. So yeah, the whole progesterone argument. I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I don't do this for patients cause my patients are already pregnant. Right. But as someone who's been through a lot. I could get it. I get it. Um, I know. It's, and tough. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but you know, just talk to your, your doc and, you mm-hmm. know, um, every doc is a little bit different about what they feel on progesterone. Um, but that's why it's important that you, you know, you have a good interaction with them and talk to them about mm-hmm. what, you know, what their thoughts are. Right. Okay. So let's talk about recurrent pregnancy loss. What is recurrent pregnancy loss? So this is a condition when a woman has two or more clinical, uh, clinical pregnancy losses or miscarriages before 20 weeks of pregnancy. Um, now this is not the same as someone who comes in with cer- cervical incompetence and we're not talking about cervical incompetence, right? That's a different ball game. The progesterone is different. Everything is different. Maybe one day we'll address cervical incompetence, but mm-hmm. cervical incompetence and, and spontaneous pregnancy loss are, that's different.
1: Even though Definitely. you can have
0: cervical incompetence at less than 20 weeks, it's a different mechanism that causes that. So we, we're not including that in, in this conversation, right? Right, right. <laughs> so it's different. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, So basically the clinical pregnancy, as we talked earlier, what that means it's diagnosed by a healthcare provider using ultrasound. So you do see something on ultrasound. That Mm -hmm. means it's a clinical pregnancy loss. Um, We've already talked about whether or not they're considered losses. So what are some of the causes of recurrent pregnancy loss, which would be two or more consecutive, meaning back to back. So if you had, and this is another thing, if you've had four pregnancies, you had a early pregnancy loss, then a full term pregnancy, then an early Mm -hmm. pregnancy loss. Than a full term mm-hmm. pregnancy, that's not recurrent. It has to be back to back.
1: Okay. Right. So, what exactly. are some of the causes of recurrent pregnancy loss? So, um, of course, the chromosomal anomalies. We always think of that. You also could have some structural a structural issue with your uterus, like a septum or something that isn't allowing the the pregnancy to implant. You could have an issue um, with like clotting factors or mm-hmm. clotting in your in your blood. And also, you know, antibodies, certain antibodies, and things that can make you have the recurrent pregnancy loss. So yeah, there's so like, there's I mean, there's a oh, couple things. Yeah, but right. over
0: and and this is also a hard uh pill to swallow.
1: Sometimes I know
0: over half, probably even more than that. In my experience, recurrent pregnancy mm-hmm. losses have no reason.
1: I know, and, I, right. and we all
0: we always want to get a diagnosis. I know, and I hate not being able to do I that. Hate even it. if we did the million dollar workup, mm-hmm. over half we cannot find the cause. Okay. So even if you did testing and the the, the chromosomes are normal and you tested the products, you know, over half of recurrent uh, patients with recurrent pregnancy loss have no known cause. So and and I understand that's all, uh, you know, you don't want to hear that you want to know because you want, I think people feel that if they have a diagnosis, then there's a cure for it. Yes. And, and, and I get that, but unfortunately in over half of the cases, we don't have a diagnosis. But you talked about genetic, and we've talked about genetics a lot. The chromosomes, right. obviously, if you're at advancing age, that's one of the risk factors. For the anatomic, you talk about when, you know, the cavity of the uterus is supposed to look a certain way. I can't mm-hmm. do it with my finger. It's like a little, <laughs> like a a little, little triangle, yeah. ideally. Yeah. And, you know, if you have septums, if you have things that are distort the uterine cavity, if they're or fibroids, fibroid. right, you know, anything exactly. that can distort, if you're, you have uterine anomaly. And there's a bunch of different things where the uterus doesn't develop like it should. And it looks different. Those are all Mm -hmm. things that can contribute to recurrent pregnancy loss. And you mentioned smoking earlier is definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then certain recreational drugs. If someone is a cocaine user and Mm -hmm. and they're doing certain things uh, like that, that can cause pregnancy loss. And I've seen that as well. And I'm sure you have as well. And then um, being overweight has been linked to recurrent pregnancy loss and other pregnancy complications. So maternal obesity does have an effect on recur- on pregnancy loss and recurrent right. pregnancy loss, um, and then excessive alcohol or caffeine intake. Potentially, I, I you know th- that's hard to that's been it's possible, but it has been uh, studied. What, but it has been studied. But what's excessive caffeine? And the whole thing with alcohol is, and this is a, a whole another discussion. Right, we know that you can drink <laughs> just a little bit and have problems, or drink right. a lot and not have. Pro- I mean, it's it just a, depends on yeah the person. You, you so, never know. But that's just because we know that. Definitely yeah. we know that there is fetal alcohol syndrome, fetal alcohol effects. That's why we right. recommend no alcohol because there right. is such a spectrum, but we don't have that same thing for caffeine. That's why we haven't spit caffeine off the table. We recommend 200 milligrams a day or right. less because right. we don't have caffeine syndrome or anything like that. It's it, it, it's <laughs> right. different. So fetal uh, for, uh, alcohol and caffeine are different. Right. And then you talked about, you know, one of the biggest things I see is diabetes, mm-hmm. -hmm. Maternal diabetes causes recurrent pregnancy loss. There is no question. Yes. Babies cannot develop, pregnancies cannot progress in a hostile environment. High sugar state. High sugar state. Mm -hmm. So that does cause recurrent pregnancy loss. Okay. Sure. So if you have untreated uh, thyroid disease as well. Exactly. If you have medical conditions. The time to get them under control is not once you get pregnant; it's before you get pregnant. Exactly right. In order to have the best outcomes. And a lot
1: of patients get pregnant, especially like PCO, PCOS mm-hmm. patients. A lot of patients uh, of uh, or PCOS patients get get pregnant just by losing weight. Yes. So that right there, you know, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. not not mm-hmm. saying that that we're t- talking about infertility, but that mm-hmm. still has something to do with kind of what you said. Yeah.
0: Okay. So now let's getting into the testing. Uh, what tests do you have someone that's had two recurrent, say three mm-hmm. pregnancy mm-hmm. losses back to back, they fall into the category or the classification of recurrent
1: pregnancy loss. How do you start your workup? So, I mean, you know, I do tend to, to start with the antiphospholipid antibody, um, syndrome workup just because that's, you know, an autoimmune disorder. And that tends to be something that we, usually it's not super common, but we just kind of want to rule that out because we know that that definitely can cause that.
0: So for thrombophilias, thrombophilia means Mm -hmm. blood love or clot loving. Yes. Is the, what it translates into. But um, what it means is you have a propensity or something within your body that causes you to clot easier then exactly what is recommended? Yes. We want your blood to clot. If you get cut, we want you to clot. But not I over. Mean, yeah, but not over clotting and not clotting mm-hmm. for no good reason. So that's where exactly. now there's a whole range of thrombophilia workups factor five light. And, and we're not going into that. Yeah. But for first trimester, early pregnancy loss workup, the only one that is recommended is the antiphospholipid antibody syndrome workup, not everything else that's different. Yes. And yes. there we use laboratory for uh, antifossil, We'll talk about that. Where did it go? Just so I can throw that out there, how we diagnose it. Um, The diagnosis requires at least one clinical, meaning one, uh, whether it's recurrent pregnancy loss Mm -hmm. or you've had clot clotting and one laboratory. So there's a whole thing that we use. There's guidelines that we use to diagnose antiphospholipid antibody. And then we also look at your blood for different um, antibodies like uh, anticardiolipin antibodies, uh, glycoprotein antibodies, and lupus anticoagulant. So those are different things that we use to work up. Uh, and you need to have at least one of the clinical and one of the laboratory mm-hmm. criteria have to be met. Mm-hmm. Um, and had is a whole nother talk too. Oh my I, God, I just, it's I, so complicated. It yeah, complex. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, I had a patient who, who had actually three, three recurrent losses and I I don't, I'm, and then I finally, I was able to finally do this on her and she she actually didn't, she, her like anti-cardiolipin was, it's supposed to be 40. Hers yeah. was like 25, but I actually still ended up putting her on, you know, just prophylactic, uh, Lovenox, and she ended up, she ended yeah. up delivering at term. So, yeah. you know, I mean, she, she wasn't exactly on the, on the cutoff, but she had had that history and she was kind of borderline. So, I mean, you know, you just have to look at the yeah. whole clinical yeah. situation.
0: Yeah. And then one of the things I want to say is the use of anticoagulants, which would be like Lovenox or, or right. aspirin or both has not been shown to reduce the risk of early pregnancy loss in women with thrombophilias, except in women with antiphospholipid antibodies. Okay. Yes. So right. that's important to know too. Uh, we're Okay. So we're going back. That's all with antiphospholipid. Okay. The other thing that you can do is send them to a geneticist, a genetic counselor, mm-hmm. because, and I do that a lot, actually, even though I'm trained to do genetic stuff, I'm not a genetic, you know, I didn't do my fellowship in genetics. Yeah, I, I can do so sure. much, but they can look at your, your history, mm-hmm. your partner's history, <clears throat> to see if there's anything that might. And these guys are like little sleuths; they can figure it out, right? Yeah, they and can find all. They kinds can of find all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, I use them a lot. We use them a mm-hmm. lot. And um, one thing they'll likely do is recommend a karyotype on you Correct. and your partner. Karyotype means they're going to look at your chromosomes and his chromosomes or their chromosomes. To see right. if there's something in your genetic makeup and/or your partner's that is not allowing a pregnancy to develop, and even though you have nothing, you know, medical, physically wrong, physically there might right. be something within your chromosomes your or theirs is. that that doesn't allow. So that's one thing. So we talked about um, screening for antiphospholipid. The parental karyotype is what that's called. You need to look at thyroid disease to make sure that thyroid's normal.
1: Yeah. Look at pro-
0: prolactin. Make sure your prolactin levels normal. Um, and then we already talked about looking at the chromosomes of the products of conception for any pregnancy losses that you yes, had, if sure. you can, um, uh, let's see. The other thing, uh, once you get to the recurrent pregnancy loss thing, and I cannot, I talk about this as a, every chance I get incorporating therapy into this to help the patient get through this right. is also essential. So counseling and support is also important because going through miscarriage after miscarriage is 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 not easy it's not and I, definitely. and i and in having therapy and counseling is crucial
1: so definitely. most I all agree. of our pro-
0: we all have therapists and counselors that we all refer to, to right and you can just ask your doctor hey do, is there a therapist or a counselor that you recommend but the other great sort resource is going through what your insurance provider They all have that. They know they take your insurance and they Mm -hmm. know that, you know, what kind of therapy, what their specialties are, and they can read for you. There are a lot more counselors and therapists going into infertility therapy and counseling. Yeah. So there's a lot more of those available than there used to be. So, or seeing someone such as a perinatal psychiatrist that specializes on, on everything for mental health regarding pregnancy, infertility, postpartum, all that, that's their area of expertise. I highly recommend that because, um, even though your, uh, your mental health is, may not be what's causing your miscarriages, it's definitely not going
1: to help exactly. if you have additional stress on top of that. Exactly. Worries, right? So yeah, what, for what sure. Your, your mental. That? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I think sometimes some doctors tend to not look at the entire patient like as a whole, but we do have to definitely look at your physical and your mental health because they play a big role with amongst each other, they're intertwined. And, you you know, like Dr. Clark said, if your mental health isn't where it should be, your physical health is going to suffer. And then that's going to, that's going to make it even harder to get, get pregnant. And, and I definitely agree with everything you're saying.
0: Yeah. we we, I want to spend a few minutes answering questions. We're going to have to do a part two because we're running out of time. And <laughs> oh, I are we, with t- I don't even know yeah, what time it is. I know. I, okay. I looked up and it's like, we have it, symptoms, so it's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. So this is what we're going to do. So first, um, as far as our treatments for recurrent pregnancy loss, it depends on what the workup shows whether or not right. what the treatment is available. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to answer real quick, will I be able to have a baby even with the history of pregnancy, recurrent pregnancy loss? And the, the, the data is, the causes, yeah, it says even after having three miscarriages, a woman yeah. has a 60 to 80% yeah. chance of conceiving and carrying to full term. Right. And that's so still helpful, high. but it still doesn't make it any easier when it's you. right. Okay. So yes, right. there's still a chance that you can see even carry it to full term, even after recurrent pregnancy loss. So Dr. Montes, I'm going to hold you to a, a part two because I want to discuss some hemorrhage and some other things Yes, um, after this. So we'll, we'll schedule a part two. So let okay, me go through and see if good. there's any questions.
1: Yeah. I think we had a good amount. I know. And i we're not going to get, get through I all know. this. I'm sorry, you guys, but so, yeah, guys, I love you, talking about
0: this. I yeah, appreciate If we don't get to your question, what you need to do when I post this video under my feed because if you answer, do a question under my stories, I, it gets lost. You have to put it <laughs> under my feed. Um, you have to put it under my feed so we can answer these questions at the next one. Um, do bio- biochemical pregnancy loss occur f- from one woman taking oral contraceptives since the lining is affected? No. That, that oral contraceptives is not going to affect your – I don't know what, that. that's what you're asking, right? Uh, your chances of having a chemical pregnancy. I'll let pregnancy. You look at them, yeah, because yeah. I can't
1: go through them okay. like you are.
0: Are chemical pregnancies indicative of potential male DNA fragmentation? So I, that's not a question for me. Have you heard anything about that? You know, no. But I mean, I think that's where those genetic counselors yes. like, really come into play. Yes. So, you know, and that's also something the fertility specialist. I, as an MFM, Dr. Montes is a general OBGYN. We do not, uh, for chemical, pre- recurrent chemical pregnancy loss or biochemical pregnancy loss but you might want to ask to see a geneticist, right? And you might want to see a fertility specialist to see what their thoughts are on that. Because I know fertility and I've talked to a few before this conversation, what mm-hmm. do you do? Do you do workups after re- recurrent? And I only know if there's a de- definition for recurrent chemical, pregnancy. chemical, loss. right. Um, but, and they, some of them did say, yes, they will pursue a pregnancy loss workup, but it would be the same as what we just mentioned. So I don't know if it's any different. So right. that's a good question. Okay. So can you talk about the workup differences for recurrent pregnancy loss for someone who's having losses at six to seven weeks versus those at nine to 10? It's the same. So recurrent pregnancy loss workup is for people with losses after 12, sorry, before 12 weeks and 12 six weeks, days. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Can you also discuss if, yeah, so we already talked about that. Can you discuss if a woman is can get pregnant but has had two miscarriages before seven weeks? And I just talked about Yeah, that. you just gave yeah. the stats mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hit on this real quick. The the vanishing twin. I get that question a lot. What's the most common cause of a loss of a die die twin before 13 weeks vanishing twin? Twins are not a normal pregnancy from the get-go. It's not normal. They're
1: complicated. Unless
0: you're, you know, in the humans to have more than one baby. It happens, but it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it's, it's, so there's different set of complications. So vanishing twin typically occurs for one of two reasons. If it's early, it's likely due to chromosomes. Okay, because not only do the chromosomes have to come right for one baby, it has to come right to, for two. Exactly. Um, and then sometimes, if it's a little bit later than that, it's because the placentas have to compete for space and they may not get the same nutrients and
1: uh, basket blood flow yeah, and all that. The
0: acreage on the uterine wall mm-hmm. that they need to develop. So, those right. are the most common causes. So, earlier on for a, twin, a vanishing twin, it's likely due to um, chromosomal defects. Right. I agree with that you see We're not going to talk about, so We're not going to talk about cervical stuff today. What, is I, she, what did it say? Something about uh, cervical length. For, and I saw cervical oh, length. Well, so yeah. that's a whole oh, different. Okay. Whole, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, we can't yeah. get into that in three minutes. After expected management, how long would you expect to see your hCG level decrease back to pre-pregnancy levels?
1: Um well it depends on how far along you were yeah. and how high it was but I tend to you know it's really difficult to say but for sure within you know a month I mean but that's
0: why I think it's still good to just have that first cycle because when you have that right. first cycle then you know you're kind of resetting does
1: that make exactly. sense Exactly that's why we because, that's why I think yeah. we we agree on that for sure So the
0: only time when we would follow I got 2 minutes to follow your pregnancy levels till they're gone is with the molar pregnancy Okay, because we need and to uh, make sure topic. And topic. Right. So right. we need to make sure that's out and it's been cleared out. For the rest, we don't have to follow that to zero. Mm-hmm. That's not necessary. So right. the best indicator that things are resetting is if you have one normal menstrual cycle and you exactly. kind of reset. Okay, exactly. All right. Is it common to see reduced menstruation bleeding after a DNC?
1: Do you know what she's talking about? Mm, maybe does she she mean like in her neck normal maybe maybe in her new period yeah i mean i wouldn't i I don't i don't think i mean i think you could but i don't necessarily think it's like uh i think it could you could see it or you couldn't see it it's hard to say okay
0: so listen i got one minute left and then i'm gonna gonna (laughs) stop the whole thing with progesterone this is the whole thing with anything you can find a study and a paper that s- supports that goes for it or against it. Yeah. But the goal of ACOG, which are the, for our governing bodies for fertility and pregnancy, we have ACOG, SMFM, ASRM. Their, their job is to take the evidence in total mm-hmm. and review it and give a recommendation to right. help guide us in some way. So I'm going to tell you, and I'm sure Dr. Montes and then we got, you can agree or disagree. No, that no. I, got, I do not change my <laughs> practice based on one article.
1: Yes, Because I would be
0: changing my practice every five minutes. Right. It's impossible to do do that. that. So although there might be an article that progesterone is key, that doesn't mean that it is
1: right. Okay, You have to look at how the
0: article, how the study was done.
1: Right. If it was
0: powered enough to make a difference, because a lot of studies are not powered and they can make a suggestion, but they can't do a a definitive recommendation. It's not statistically right. So you have to understand, just because you, you can go on Google right now and find an article to support your stance. It doesn't mean that it's Right. Okay. We have four seconds left. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate you. Part two, part two. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Now tune in for the next discussion on maternal mortality and the Kira Johnson act.